Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. There are so many good Advent and Christmas songs, we don't get to sing them all in the four weeks we have, but uh, each of them uh, so clearly spelling out the gospel and what we believe about Jesus Christ. Back in uh, 1999, there was a, a book that was published titled A Charge to Keep. It chronicled the life of a, of a man who served uh, first in the Texas uh, National Air Guard, then after graduating from Harvard Business School, um, worked in the oil industry for a while, and then unsuccessfully ran uh, for House of Representatives. A after that, he, he became a co-owner uh, of the uh, Texas Rangers pro baseball team. And then he was elected governor of Texas in, in uh, 1990, or no, I... I have the date wrong, but anyway, at, at the time that the book was published in, in uh, 1999, he became the front-runner Republican candidate for President of the United States. And the book, which was his autobiography then at that point, uh, also spelled out a time in his life when he'd struggled with uh, overuse of alcohol. And it also told of the influence of uh, Reverend Billy Graham in bringing him to personal faith in Jesus Christ and how that then also changed the direction of his life. The, the title of the book, A, a Charge to Keep, actually came from a, a hymn written by Charles Wesley and also then really from a personal perspective of the author that as God had given him much in his life, he had a responsibility to serve God and become a public servant. Well, maybe you figured out by now 22 years have come and gone since then, and that man did serve for two terms as our 43rd president of the United States. His presidency was significantly shaped by terrorist attacks that destroyed the Twin Towers, uh, the World Trade Center there in New York City, and by our nation's response to all of that. In a retrospect, uh, the legacy of this president is mixed. He initially drew the nation together in, in a critical time, and I personally uh, appreciated so much his willingness to uh, call us to prayer and to looking to God. Whoever the resulting wars that were fought in the Middle East, uh, um, seeking to stamp out terrorism, uh, may have been partly based on faulty information. It was found later, and, and so many have heavily faulted him as a public servant for his actions and his decisions. And, and I share that example with you um, because of that title of that book, but also um, I, I want to make this statement. Every public servant that has ever lived has failed in some way, except for one. And no matter what, uh, how much the rest of them have been convinced that they're called to their tasks by God himself, and may have been, still that statement is true. And, and we're going to look today then at the one public servant called by God to tasks um, which he did not and could not fail. 
And so I invite you to look with me at what we sometimes call the second servant song in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's in chapter 49. And I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read, beginning of, beginning of that chapter. <clears throat> Listen to me, you islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has also made me a sharpened arrow, and he has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I shall show my glory. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and futility. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant and to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, says to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see and arise. Princes also will bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now skip down just to verse 13 as well. Shout for joy, you heavens, and rejoice, you earth. Break forth into joyful shouting mountains. The Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Let us pray. Lord, the Old Testament is fascinating in what the prophets reveal. As they show over and over your plan of bringing a Savior to this earth. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts and minds today as we focus on this servant song. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the Lord God has had many people that he has called his servants down through the pages of biblical history. And, and I did a little survey with, with the help of my study Bible, and, and this is what I found. The Old Testament records that the Lord God chose each of the following uh, for his purposes, and he talked of each of them as his servants. My servant Abraham, my servant Moses, my servant Caleb, my servant David, my servant Isaiah, my servants the prophets, my servant Eliakim. Maybe that one's less familiar. He was a finance minister under King Hezekiah. And we go on. And an interesting thing to me is this. As I looked at this list, was that God sometimes even chose to use people who didn't believe in or know him at all. And he had a plan for their lives, and he spoke of them too, even as his servants. For instance, there was King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He calls him my servant in the book of Jeremiah. And then there was this guy named Cyrus. He was a, a pagan Persian king who conquered Babylon after King Darius the Mede. And, and the Lord calls him in the book of Isaiah, Cyrus, my shepherd, and, and also my anointed. You see, God 
used Cyrus, a, a Persian pagan king, as his servant to be, you might say, a great deliverer, to restore God's exiled people back to their former land. And the prophet Isaiah predicted that, and, and this person by name, Cyrus, before that name was even known. And, and the Lord at that same time used a man named Zerubbabel as a servant to then lead the exiles back to the homeland and start rebuilding it. But Uranus commentary says this, a change of scene does not produce a change of heart. Though God's people were allowed then to go back to Canaan, still they needed to be also brought back to the Lord. And God had another servant in mind to bring that about. His own son would come to this earth to change human hearts. As we think of Cyrus, Cyrus was a great deliverer. But another servant, God's son, would accomplish an even greater deliverance. None of the other servants could deliver God's people from their sins or change their rebellious hearts because all, of, all other servants had their own sins and their own sinful hearts to deal with. But God would send a servant like no other to accomplish what no other could accomplish. And that's what the prophet Isaiah was speaking of here as we look at these during Advent here, the four sections known as Isaiah's servant songs. Pastor Ryan covered the first one last week, so this is number two. And it starts out then saying, Listen to me, you islands, or, or you coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from afar. That is, listen, people all over the world. The Lord has something to tell us here through the prophet Isaiah about this very unique servant of his. And we see then as we look at verse 1 here, first of all, the servant's call. This servant of the Lord tells us then about himself. In first person, he says, the Lord called me from the womb. Verse 5, and now, said, or, now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. We, we need to just stop and note something important here. This scripture makes clear, as many other scriptures do as well, God's perspective on human life is that the preborn are truly already a person in his eyes. He forms that human life in the womb and he has plans for each one. And even as Pastor Ryan mentioned in the prayer here today, the Supreme Court of the United States is wrestling with this very important issue even in this last week. And, and we ought to pray that it would be just clear to the whole court that abortion is the taking of a human, innocent life. The Lord called this servant even, while, even from the womb. Then we also see here that the Lord named me, he says, before birth. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named me, verse 1. Do you remember in the New Testament, what, what the angel revealed in a, in a dream to Joseph um, after he found out that Mary was with child? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son. Remember, this is before the days of ultrasounds and gender reveal parties, um, in, in days when you had to wait and see um, what it was, a boy or a girl. But it was revealed to Joseph and Mary that this child yet to be born was a son. And not only was the gender revealed, but also 
his name. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we're told in the gospel, then Joseph awoke from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and you named him Jesus. Jesus, that, that, that very name means the Lord is salvation. What else does Isaiah reveal about this servant that was like no other? We look on here, we see the servant's prophetic preparation. Verse 2, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand he's concealed me. He's also made me a sharpened arrow and hidden me in his quiver. This servant is saying, the Lord made my mouth like a sharp sword, a sharpened arrow. God had a plan to use the mouth of this servant to accomplish things beyond what Cyrus the Conqueror's sword would accomplish. God had said about Cyrus um, in Isaiah here that, that he would make kings and nations like dust with his sword. But God would use the mouth of his servant Jesus to speak law and gospel, to call people to repentance of their sins and then offer them forgiveness through his sacrificial death on the cross. The author of Hebrews reminds us of that. It tells us there in chapter 4, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word through his servant Jesus and through the human authors of scripture is able to penetrate stubborn hearts and to convict us of sin and to reveal, us, then, reveal to us God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And so that means then that even as you're hearing God's word here today, he might be speaking to your heart about something in your life that you need to deal with. Maybe some sin that you need to admit to God and then find rest in his forgiveness. He tells us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We don't know how much time each of us has here on this earth. Life is too short to let it go by with bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. And Isaiah declared that God would send Jesus to cut through all of that in order that he might bring salvation, forgiveness to human hearts. And one other thing here about Jesus' prophetic preparation, he says here in verse 2, the Lord has concealed and hidden me. In the shadow of his hand, he's concealed me. Do you remember what happened after the birth of Jesus? Uh, and that visit from the wise men, the Lord sent an angel again to Joseph in a dream, telling him to arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child to destroy him. And so that temporary flight to Egypt was God's plan of concealing his son, protecting him for the mission or the tasks that he was yet to accomplish in his life here on this earth. And just what was that task? Isaiah sums it up here with three things. That servant's task would be to reveal God's glory, to bring back Israel, and to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. No small task, but this servant of God was definitely up to it. First of all, to reveal God's glory. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory or, or my magnificence, my splendor. You see the God that is so amazing that he stretched out the vast heavens by himself. 
And he designed and he created the smallest details of the universe. This same God is in charge of all of human history. It's in his hands. And he ordains to even then use unbelieving rulers of nations for his purposes. And he says here that he will reveal his awesome glory in one faithful servant. And when Jesus then came on the scene, there was that voice out of the heaven at his baptism. What did it declare? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus revealed then God's glory in the words he spoke and in the miracles that he performed and even more in the sacrificial death that he died and the amazing resurrection from the dead that he accomplished. The Lord's servant's task was to reveal God's glory. It was also to bring back Israel. Israel had been chosen as God's chosen people for the purpose of bringing the rest of the world to believe in and follow God. But, but instead of accomplishing that, Israel for the most part had, had rebelled against God and refused to listen to his prophets and, and instead turned to worship false gods. And after centuries of patience on God's part, he eventually let, let them then just fall into the hands of enemy nations and, and be taken into captivity for 70 years. And it was Cyrus then who had finally let a remnant of them return and rebuild Jerusalem. But as I already mentioned, even, even that did not turn their hearts back to God. And so God sent his servant, his son, for that purpose. And it tells us that here. Verse 5, now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him. And later on in that verse, to restore the protected ones of Israel. No small task. No one else could do it, but Jesus could. And, and through him then, many, not, not all, but, but a remnant of the Jews have been restored to a personal relationship with God. But that was not the whole God-ordained task of this ultimate servant. There was one more part to it. Thirdly, then, he was to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That was to provide a way then that not just a select people group, but all people everywhere could, could be saved from their sins and be offered eternal life. The end of verse 6 here, I, I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. A light to the nations. When Jesus was a baby, and he was brought into the temple. Do you remember what that devout man, Simeon, said as he took that child and held its arms? He, he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then think about Jesus himself as he was in his ministry years. What did he say about himself in John chapter 8? He declared, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's quite a thing for a person to say about himself, isn't it? Not, I'm a light in this world. That'd be nice. But I am the light of the world. Reminds me of something, uh, this last week I was at Menards and I, I saw this great deal on, on a light. Uh, I, I'd wanted something that was uh, bright enough to uh, you know, light up a room if uh, the power was off. And here there was this great deal, it was a rechargeable light, um, puts out 
3,000 lumens, I think. And so I took it home and I turned it on after it was dark at night and we turned off all the lights in the house and then I pushed the button. And sure enough, it was bright. It lit up the whole room. But really just one room. Jesus says he is the light of the whole world. He sheds light into the darkest corners of humanity. And he says that those who follow him will not walk in darkness because they will always have light, no matter what they're going through in their life. And I don't know what many of you are going through in your lives. You may be dealing with some dark times. You may feel like no one understands what you're going through. Well, you are not stuck alone in the dark. Look to Jesus who brings the light of forgiveness for all of your sins. He will also light your daily path if you look to him. Well, how would the nation of Israel respond to this, the Lord's servant? As we look on in our text here, we see the nation's response and the servant's feelings of futility here. Um, it tells us in verse 7 about him as a despised one, or the one abhorred by the nation. And what was Isaiah saying here would come about? You know the crucifixion account of Jesus, and you know that the Jewish religious leaders truly did despise him. They came up with false claims in order to have him killed. They, they stirred up the crowds of people as well to hurl insults at him one after another as he hung there dying on the cross. And so Isaiah records here in verse 4 the, the thoughts of this servant as he came close to the end of his earthly ministry. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in futility. And humanly speaking, that's what it would seem like as Jesus was arrested and accused and, and falsely condemned to death. I've labored in vain. I've failed in my mission. And yet, verse 4, goes, Jesus goes on then to leave this earthly fate in his heavenly Father's hands and to say, Nevertheless, justice due me is with the Lord. My reward is with my God. And you know, the Lord God did truly bless his efforts. And we look last here then at this, the global results of this servant's mission. We see that it says here, kings will see and arise and princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Could this be pointing to that visit from the wise men, uh, the wise men to the Christ child? I, I think perhaps. But, but certainly also we would say this, that down through the ages there have been some leaders, even of nations, all over the world that have bowed their knees and acknowledged that they too needed Jesus to forgive their sins and to change their hearts and lives and their eternal destinies. And Isaiah in verse 13 here then calls attention to the fact that the results of Jesus completing his task here on this earth would go way beyond even those kings of the earth. He says there in verse 13, the heavens will shout for joy and earth will rejoice. And isn't that what many of those Christmas carols are all about? Heaven and earth rejoicing at the birth of this, the Lord's servant. Isaiah sums it up in verse 13 here. For the Lord has comforted his people. He will have compassion on his afflicted. How about you today? Have you grasped the awesomeness of God's carrying out his plan to send this servant to save you? 
Have you maybe been sometimes stubborn like Israel, resisting his plan for your life and pursuing all kinds of other things to satisfy and coming up empty? The Lord in his compassion for you and I, who are bound in the darkness of our own sin, sent his servant as the light of the world and the covering for all of our sins. And so let us bow our knees before this servant, the Lord, today. Lord God, we thank you for your word and how it reveals to us that, that you and your awesomeness, Lord, had a, had a plan and that you brought it about and that you have your hand in all of human history and that you, out of love for us, in your compassion sent your servant, your own son. We thank you for that, Lord. And, and as we come to the close of our service, we have opportunity to partake of communion. And we come and we bow our knees uh, before Jesus, your, your servant. We thank you for him. Amen. <clears throat>